Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Coco Express, part of the Blog Talk Radio Network. Your host on the Coco Express is Aurelia Lyles. She's all about keeping it real. Great guests, interesting topics, so get on board. Listen, learn, live. Welcome to the Cocoa Express Show Network for Sunday, August 31st, 2014. It's time for Wealth Zone Radio. Thank you. This is Wealth Zone Radio featuring Teresa R. Martin Esquire, part of the Cocoa Express Network, a show dedicated to financial literacy, generational wealth, investing, ownership, and so much more. Your journey starts right now. everyone and welcome to the Wealth Zone Radio where we are the premier venue to educate and inspire our individuals nationwide. We want you to pursue generational wealth by helping you provide access to leaders in various industries that will help you and enable you to act now. I am Attorney Teresa Martin. I am your host of this evening's show, and we have the privilege and the honor to welcome with us Dr. Lori Nicholas. Dr. Nicholas is a clinical psychologist, a certified financial education instructor, and also the CEO of Dream Builders United. She is commonly known as the financial recovery doctor. And I want to give you a brief understanding about Dream Builders because Dream Builders United was actually created to empower distressed families and homeowners through the financial education process. And families will actually have the actual knowledge and the resources to learn how to live debt-free and to pursue their dreams of owning and maintaining a home and helping them to reach their financial goals. And they also will help them build their legacy of financial freedom for not only themselves but also their families. That's why I definitely want to have Dr. Lori Nicholas on the show because you know that's exactly what we talk about on the Wealth Zone Radio, about building generational wealth and breaking the chains of generational poverty. So without further ado, I want to bring up our guest speaker, Dr. Lori Nicholas. Dr. Nicholas, are you there? I sure am, Attorney Martin. And first of all, I just want to thank you. It's an honor and a privilege to be interviewed on your radio show and I'm looking forward to talking to the audience today. I think it's so wonderful just to have someone with your knowledge, your ex- expertise, and actually your willingness to actually help educate people about generational wealth. And one of the things that I know that you are really, really passionate about is dealing with finances and educating people on finances. So what I want us to focus on, you know, in the brief time that I have you, is this topic on financial stress. There are so many people and so many families right now struggling because of this economic decline. I want us to focus on financial stress. So with that, how would you define financial stress? Okay, thank you. So stress in general is usually an event, person, or circumstance that triggers like a physical or mental reaction in a person. And so when it comes to finances, that event is having a problem with your finances. So that stress comes from 
such things as not being able to pay your bills, uh, having the creditors call you constantly because your bills are long overdue. Um, and in that stress that you're dealing with in terms of not being able to pay your bills and manage your finances, the person develops some physical and psychological symptoms. And they can be heart palpitations, high blood pressure, um, having stomach problems, um, feeling depressed, the psychological aspects, having problems sleeping, um, changing your eating habits. Um, and in some cases, to the extent of even suicide, it can get that drastic. And so the financial component ends up taking its course in terms of coming out physically and psychologically in a person. And so that's why financial stress is, is something that really needs to be addressed and resolved. And one of the things that as you as you are going through these symptoms, I'm sitting here, I'm sure, you know, people who are actually listening out in the audience. Now, we've been dealing with financial pressures and financial stress, if you will. You know, and it just seems as though now we have this diagnosis for everything. You know, before, you know, our children, you know, when they didn't pay attention, we just said, okay, they just, you know, just being disobedient or, you know, um, they, they just won't pay attention. Now it's ADD and DDDH and all different types of symptoms and you know I remember back in the day you know when we were actually at the kitchen tables and you know my parents were actually doing the bills and all that you know and you know the mm -hmm. yelling and the arguing that would go you know go on about spending too much or eating too much or whatever so now what you're saying is then it could have been symptoms or signs you know that they actually was pretty much diagnosed or would have been diagnosed with something called financial stress? Is that, are you serious? Exactly. Uh, those symptoms that the person has experienced is a result. When that person goes to the doctor saying they're having heart palpitations and the doctor's checking their heart, it could be related to the fact that the person couldn't cover their bills and, and they're living paycheck to paycheck and trying to stretch those dollars and they're not able to. So it could have been uh, coming out in that person from a psychological aspect in terms of um, feeling depression or physical aspect in terms of their heart or um, respiratory symptoms. So uh, studies have been showing that something just as financial stress is coming out in people's um, physical and psychological. Um, but again, that's as it's just related to the financial aspect, they're having problems financially. And like you were saying, sitting at the kitchen table and you're seeing your family go through these things and not knowing what's going on. And all the time it could have been problems with money in the family and you didn't realize it. And I, I venture to your audience who's listening to us today, to just think about um, when you have money and what's that feeling like. You know, and then just reverse it and think about when you don't have a dime in your pocket and you can't even uh, barely are making it to work and you, you can't afford to do the things you nor, normally do if you have money. And what is that like? So that's a, a, what your audience can do right now in you know, terms of what they're dealing with, how that feeling and goes. And I think one of the things that I like what you hit on, um, what you touched upon, you know, when you went through, you know, some of those physical and psychological symptoms that, you know, um, we may have seen and really, uh, or, or experienced, you know, not, not just seen, but actually experienced. So basically how you explain how the financial stress not only affects our pocketbooks, you know, and our bottom line, but also has a severe impact or can have a severe impact on our health in the long term. So is that accurately to summarize what you just mentioned? Impact on our health, long term, especially if we don't do anything about it, it can lead to severe 
problems. And then there are times when people, um, I'll say, um, meditate their self-medicate of their financial stress and other stresses through drinking too much, um, getting involved in um, abuse of prescription drugs, especially if they go to the doctor, the doctor has a heart problem uh, and it's really financial and the doctor gives them medication for the heart problem and then they self-medicate because um, they're taking more than they should be of the medication. So it can lead to a person getting involved in behaviors that are you know, beyond the, the realm of what they should be doing in terms of drinking too much, things like that. Um, so it's, it's really important that people address it realize that they have a problem and do something about it. Not taking action will continue the health problems and some more severe issues. So with that with that said, you know, so what would be, you know, some of your suggestions, you know, for dealing with, you know, such financial stresses that we just discussed? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> the very first, very first thing I would definitely suggest a person to do is number one, realize that they have a problem realize that there is a problem with their finances that they're encountering. Uh, number two, understand what the problem is. Uh, are they overspending too much? Or is it that they're living paycheck to paycheck? Or maybe they had a sudden um, expense come on and they can't afford to pay for it. Um, or what is the issue? So once they understand, realize they have a problem, understand what is the issue, then now the next step is what do I need to do to resolve this problem? and then really sit down and break it down in terms of what do I need to do to resolve this problem. And that usually can just go into looking at your expenses and looking at your income, what you're bringing in, and seeing where the, the lack is and seeing if there's any way you can cut back anywhere and just looking to see where you can resolve the issue. And so with, with that said, you know, let's just talk about for a minute, you know, let's just go back um, into the psychological um, aspects of things. And let's talk about this thing about mindset and, and, and mindset as it actually relates to money. So how does a money mindset come into play when we're talking about and dealing with financial stress? Good thing, yes. When, in the workshops that I do, the, the, after I ask people, um, you know, get a sense of why they're here today, because when I do workshops, people come for a reason. I mean, just like your audience, they're listening to this program for a reason. They, they want to get answers. So when I do my workshops, I ask them, when they were young and when they were coming up, what were the money messages that they heard from their families, from their parents or guardians that raised them, from their friends, from the community they lived in? What did they hear? Did they hear things such as money is the root of all evil, um, money doesn't grow on trees, only rich people have money? Uh, what were those messages? And then I get them to fast forward to today. So how have those money messages impact who you are today? So does it make you a spender or a saver? You know, so looking at how they grew up in their childhood to where they are today and looking at is that a problem or are they okay, on, are they in a, good, in a good place? So and those money messages that we grew up with that our parents may have said to us, our, our church may have said to us, our school may have said to us, our environment in terms of what we observe can really impact what we are today in terms of how we manage our money. And I've seen that. I've seen people who are like just oversavers because when they were young, there was not enough money in the family to go around. They were always told, no, we don't have enough money. So they turned around and, and became savers, and, and they're just um, oversaving. 
uh, or that you have people who are spenders and it's like they were told, no, we don't have enough money, and they grow up like, okay, well, I'm going to make sure I always have money and buy whatever I want. So then you have the people who spend so much because they had that no so much. I usually get people to reflect and look at those money messages they had in the past to where they are today. And then looking at are they happy with where they are today, and if not, where would they like to be? Are they having problems financially, or are they okay? Do they have money in the bank? Are they living okay? Are they not living paycheck to paycheck? So we really do some reflection in my programs. And I think and I think what you mentioned is very important because, you know, we we can talk about everything. You know, talking about money is one of the hardest things that we do. And I'm always talking about how do we make, you know, being debt free, you know, sexy? How do we make it exciting? You know, we have so many things going on, on, on T V and we're such a consumer, you know, um generation that it's just so hard to really talk about money and the real talk of money. We can talk about everything else like feel and dreams and things of that sort, but when it comes time to talk about money, you know, those conversations are not as engaging, you know, and often, you know, the outcomes are not what we want because people don't want to talk real talk. You know, they want to live in, you know, this utopia world as I can have, you know, anything that I want, regardless of what my bank account says. If I got mm-hmm. the credit card or if I have checks left, it must mean I have checks, you know, money in the bank. You know, so my, my thing about money mindset is really, really important to me, um, especially when, you know, I'm coaching individuals and when we're having these conferences, as you mentioned, and we're having these workshops, you know, there's a whole lot of people out there, and they are building <clears throat> a lot of fluff, you know, around what you can do, you know, and what's possible and things of that sort. But no one's really talking about, you know, looking at the bottom line, looking at your financial statement to find out what discretionary income do you actually have. And if you don't have any discretionary income, then how do we get you to have discretionary income? So these are some of the things that I am so excited, you know, that you joined the program tonight because one of the things that I love is this thing about the psychological effects of money um, and, and, and the financial strength. That, that comes along with not having money. And sometimes, also, Dr. Nichols, you probably agree, what about those people who have that stress about having, having too much money? I'm not going to be liked or, you know, whatever the case may be. It, it works in the reverse as well. So it's, the financial stress doesn't necessarily always come from not having enough or living in lack. It may also come with living in abundance. You know, people always coming to you or, you know, uh, whatever the case may be. Do do you see in your uh, workshops that you have people who, you know, actually fear success or fear um, having more than enough? Yes, definitely. You have people, and that, again, goes back to the money messages growing up. Um, It's like, okay, well, if you have money, then you need to be taking care of other people. Or if you have money, you know, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and then someone else needs to learn how to do that themselves. So you do have people who, if I have so much money, I'm going to have family members coming out the woodwork (laughs) looking for me to share my money with them. Um, And it's almost like a crime to to be taking care of yourself financially, which goes back to um, what you said earlier about money is just not a sexy topic to talk about. There's a lot of people who would rather not come and sit and talk about money. And there are some families who don't even talk about money. And because it's it's like almost a taboo issue, and it really shouldn't be. It's really an important issue, and, and you're right. We need to find a way to make this engaging because 
also what I find is sometimes the people who really need to be in the workshops and the programs are not the ones that are there. And so finding a way to engage them and letting them know it's okay to have money, it's okay to be taking care of yourself. And then there's also a group of people with a mindset of I'm just living for today because tomorrow's not promised. And it's like, okay, well, what if tomorrow comes? <laughs> what are you going to have? So looking beyond just today and looking beyond that living in abundance is, is a sin. It's not. I mean, in fact, if, you, if you're that concerned about living in abundance, then, hey, take some of that money, which I always encourage anyway, and put it into charities and, and put some money to help other people because that money's going to come back to you triple-fold anyway. So I always encourage people to set affirmations for themselves and change that mindset, change that thinking. But they have to believe it too. I mean, I can, I can tell them to do it, but they have to start with something where they want to change. So I usually ask them what is it they want to change based on how they've been living, um, set an affirmation, and basically believe in that, those words that they stress to themselves, and just repeat that affirmation and believe in that affirmation. Um, and, and just, uh, but I think part of also if they see they can have a dream in terms of building that money and they can have a dream in terms of taking care of themselves, then I think maybe they'll, they'll encourage them to think of money as being uh, a sexy topic and, and something to look forward to doing for themselves and hopefully passing it along the line to their children and their children's children. So uh, it, it's just so much to, to talk about in terms of the, the money issue. But you're right. We have to find a way to make it more engaging and letting them know that living in abundance is not a sin. Uh, there's ways around that by definitely giving back to others and doing for others while you're taking care of yourself. Absolutely, absolutely. And 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 also, you know, um while we're on this topic, you know, you know, cuz one of my, you know, one of my big things is credit, you know. And because mm-hmm. I I try to teach people how to hate debt, you know, um I really try to encourage people not to live on credit to, you know, utilize a cash only diet. And you know, only spend what you actually have. Um, but one of the things that people are very, very um, eager to deal with is their credit. Um, so, how would you, you know, as you know, a certified financial education instructor, how do you instruct your clients and/or students in your workshops to rebuild their credit after financial ruin, if you will? What are some of the steps that you know one could take to deal with that? <clears throat> Well, that's something I know a lot about because I also went through that when I went through my own subprime mortgage crisis in terms of just getting creditors to assist me. And I had so many creditors who basically, I'll say, turned their back on me and said that they couldn't help me uh, because my credit scores were too low and my debt-to-income ratio was too high. And myself, in terms of looking into what I needed to do and just pulling all my credit cards together, Looking at the, and this is what I would encourage the audience to do too, for those that are experiencing credit card problems. Uh, pulling all your credit cards together, looking at the balances owed on each one, uh, looking at what the interest rate, because that interest rate can really do some damage. Um, looking what the interest rate is on each card owed. And there's, um, in terms of the financial advisor, they, they suggest two things. Either usually paying off the highest balance first, or paying off the, the card with the highest interest rate. Um, what worked for me was paying off the card with the, the lowest balance first um, and getting that out the way 
and then working toward paying off the next debt and getting that and taking that money from the the card that was paid off and using it to add on to the next card and just working it down. And so and then also another strategy that really worked for me was just bugging the creditors, not just calling them one time, but just calling them constantly to the point of being annoying to them and just calling them and asking them to reduce my interest rate. And and if that person on the phone I was with I said, no, they couldn't do anything for me. Then I go to the next level. Let me speak to your supervisor. And just through working my way through, um, I was able to get a, a few of them to just reduce the interest rates on my credit um, interest. And that definitely made an impact too. But you just have to keep at it. You know, Don't let a no be a no. Just keep bugging them, keep bothering them, and write letters. I've also written letters to them about what a long-term customer I've been of you. I've, I've never had problems paying my bill before. Now I need your help. They want you as a customer. They're not trying to lose you as a customer. So you have the credit card companies as a way to really negotiate and work with them. And if for any reason you, um, a person doesn't feel that they are able to negotiate, um, that's when they can seek assistance in terms of having someone negotiate for them. Um, but you just work with the creditors, keep wearing them down. And um, it takes time, but you have to stay on it. And, and that's what I did. It was like every every day. And sometimes I would call and I'd call back again to get a different person on the phone. I just keep calling. But it, it does take time and you have to be committed to doing this if you really want to get your credit card uh, down. And just keep putting the money. And then once the money's down on those credits, Take that money that you are, are now saving and just put it into savings. And start building up your cash flow, just like you said a few minutes ago, in terms of um, paying things for cash. So just start knocking out those credits and start saving up that cash so that you can pay things with cash. Because it's surprising, um, and I know people have experienced this, when you're walking around with cash and you go to the store, you're less likely to spend that cash versus having a credit card. When you go to the store with a credit card, you're more likely to say, hey, just put it on my card, and you end up spending more than you anticipated when you went out only for a blouse, <laughs> and you come back with a oh, shopping bag full of, of, of stuff. <laughs> that's exactly that's so, exactly right, and and that's one of the things that I'm, you know, I, I am I am really a proponent of that, and I really thank you about talking about, you know, um, the debt snowball um, and the way you do it, and I know that there are two ways that people look um, at buying down their debt or paying down their debt. Um, and one of the things is what you mentioned, you know, going after the highest um, interest rates first. But I am a proponent of what you mentioned, how you how you did it, which is focusing on that lowest balance first. Because when you have these small wins, it just means that much more to you. So now it, it, it lets you see that you're actually accomplishing something. So starting with that lowest balance right. first and then using that, paying that off and paying the minimums of the other ones, that works best um, for the clients that I actually actually work with, and I think that that's, you know, a phenomenal strategy. We call that the debt snowball. And then, you know, once you start, you know, buying down that debt, you know, making sure you have emergency funds set aside. And I always tell people to make sure to help you avoid this financial stress, what we're talking about, is to make sure you have an emergency fund set up. You know, start a beginner emergency fund. You know, try to have about $1,000 built up in there. If you've got to start with, you know, $100 and just build it up, you know, work your way to that $1,000 because one, one of the things that we've always seen is that what happens is when you find yourself in an emergency, what's the first thing you go for? You go for the credit card. 
okay, and then you'll use that credit card, and then you'll pay for that emergency. And now you're in a bigger situation because now you've got the interest accruing and things of that sort. But if you had an emergency fund set aside, you can help avoid some of the financial stresses that you would actually, you know, incur if you would have, you know, such things set up. Once you have that emergency fund set up, then you can look at, you know, starting that whole debt snowball. And after you do the debt snowball, then you work on that 6 to 12 month or 3 to 6 month um, emergency emergency fund, you know, set up before you really start investing or doing any of these things that you want to do. So I really think that that is phenomenal, um, a part of what you do, dealing with the financial stress, the mindset, and things of that sort. And I know we just kind of jumped right in, but I want to just, like, backtrack a little bit, and I want you to, you know, tell us before we end the program, you know, how did you actually get involved in financial education, you know, and why have you made financial education a part of your life's work? That's what I want to know. And I'm sure my audience want to know that, too. <laughs> Alluded to the fact that I was um, a victim of the subprime crisis, the subprime mortgage crisis. I'm oh, sorry, subprime mortgage crisis. I had a one-bedroom one apartment, and I was on the verge of losing it. While other people were on the verge of losing homes, I was on the verge of losing a one-bedroom. <laughs> and what happened was the interest on that one-bedroom skyrocketed. It was like I, I got a letter saying next month your, um, your, your money, you may need to pay more. They never said what the more might be, so it was left very loose. So I did not know what to expect until that bill hit me the next month. So when I saw it, I immediately called the mortgage company, and they said, oh, well, there's nothing they could do, et cetera, et cetera. And I tried to get my um, mortgage interest rate reduced, and they basically said that my mortgage couldn't be reduced, and I just kept calling and trying to go to different companies. And again, they were telling me that my debt to income was debt to income uh, debt to income ratio was too high, and my credit scores were too low. I kept hearing that, no matter who I tried. And so, um, luckily. Well, not luckily, but um, I basically started educating myself. And, in fact, that's how I I met you, Attorney Martin, in terms of going through this process and and trying to seek assistance as well. And then what I did was I basically started educating myself and trying to figure out what I needed to do to reduce my, um, my income, not my income, sorry, reduce my interest rate, and then what happened was I also was a volunteer for Habitat for Humanity because I was always interested in helping people build homes and, and find a place for themselves to live. I received an a email one day that Habitat for Humanity needed lone rangers. They found that the families that they had put into their homes were experiencing problems keeping their homes as well, the same scenario, the subprime mortgage crisis. And so they were looking for volunteers to come and educate their families about finances about credit and I signed up and I thoroughly enjoyed that financial education sharing my experiences with those families who could relate to what I was dealing with because they were going through it themselves and I was able to answer their questions because I had been reading up and educating myself to resolve my own situation and now I was able to take the information I had learned once I went through that experience I really fell in love with the idea of, of helping people 
with their financial crisis because I realized it wasn't just me that was impacted. There was other people and families that were impacted, people walking away from their homes, their memories. And it just was so drastic to hear on the news every night how people were were walking away from their homes or finding their belongings out on the street because um, they couldn't pay their mortgage anymore. And I decided this is really what I wanted to do. And this is what I've been doing since that time. And now I'm also working with college students because the college students are the next um, the next um, the students in home crisis with their loans. So I've really come to like financial education, and I just get so inspired doing it because I'm helping others. I'm helping others through my story, through my experiences, and, I, and it's almost like taking that, that lemon and turning it into the lemonade, taking that sour situation because it, it was a sour situation at the time, talking about the psychological and physical things I went through, and turning it into something sweet, something that I can now help others with. And, and that's, my, that's my crusade. That's the, the journey I'm on right now. And, and and I think that that's, you know, a phenomenal story because you know that, you know, the greatest testimonies come from tests, and we can't become a victor until we're a victim. And one of these things, you know, that I like most about the people who, you know, we bring onto, you know, this programming is really people who have been in situations. They are talking from practice and not just theory. You know, there's one thing that I, I, I detest more than anything is, you know, going to someone seeking advice and you're telling me what the book said uh, or what you heard or what you learned. But the people who actually come onto this show actually walk the walk. They've been through situations. I can tell you what it's like to go through foreclosure. I can tell you what it's like to go through bankruptcy. I can tell you what it's like, you know, to lose, to make money and lose money. I can tell you all those stories because I've been there that you know and I always tell people don't let the ESQ fool you you know and and that is you know some of the things that I love about you know your stories and you know things that you do to help people and you just give give from your heart and and that's one of the things that I just love but you know a servant leader is always you know our welcome in the kingdom if you will so thank you so much for you know coming onto the show and 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 sh- sharing your knowledge with you know, um, our audience and our individuals and our business listeners um, on this evening. So with before we let you go, Dr. Nicholas, you know, I want you to tell our listeners how they can actually contact you and connect with you in case they need to know more information. And also thank you so much for having me on the show. It was definitely an honor, and I, I thank the audience for listening. Uh, to reach out to me, you can connect with me at www that the financial recovery doctor.com and you can go to my website you can interact with me on my blog and you can also get a free article uh, from there as well so please definitely come and interact with me on my blog and let's communicate together and keep in touch thank you so and much again, you again dr nicholas well that's our time and I know it goes through so fast, and I want to thank all of our Wealth Audience participants. And, you know, I definitely want to thank Dr. Nicholas and, you know, everyone out there, you know, tune in, you know, to these monthly shows. This is so very vital that we actually have a chance to actually get real talk and really understand what's going on. So my Wealth Audience, I love you, and because of you is why I'm here. So remember, financial freedom is a mindset, not a destination. This has been Wealth Zone Radio, and I am bidding you good night and God bless. Until the next time. 
Thank you for listening to Wealth Zone Radio and join us next month for more financial talk that matters. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.